0: And uh, man, uh, if you guys got your Bibles, let's head over to, head over to Exodus 34. Exodus 34 is where we're going to be today. And uh, man, uh, man, we just, listen, if you're not picking up on this theme this week, I just, I need you to know this about us. Uh, listen, we do not just want to raise good, d- develop good disciples. We want to develop strong families at Lake One Church. And so man, like, I, listen, I love seeing all the, all the kids on stage. I love seeing it. Listen, man, we are going to grow either by evangelism or procreation. We're going to grow. That's going to happen at Lake Point. And uh, we're seeing that. And uh, man, there was something cool that happened uh, this week um, in our church's life that I really want to celebrate. So, like, t- t- take a, p- a look at this picture real quick. Um, here's what you're seeing right here. This, this happened this week um, at our re ministry. This is who you're seeing right here. On the right, that's Matt. On the left, that's Kayla. That is now Matt and Kayla Staggs. Come back to me. And uh, on, on a camera. And here's what this is, is uh, Matt and Kayla, they had been uh, living together for a little while, for about 10 years, and then started coming to Lake Point, um, started getting into God's Word. Uh, Matt was challenged, you know, through, through the, the teaching God's Word here, and they realized that, like, man, like, we want to follow Jesus with our lives. And so spontaneously, they decided to get married this week and re-engage. And so that's right, man. And so listen, so here, let, me, let me just do this. Um, they didn't get to have, like, normal wedding, all the family flies in, that kind of thing. But we are a church family. Can we celebrate their wedding? Let's do that, man. Man, Kayla. Come on, man. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, um, on that note, uh, like you have heard, this Friday night is marriage night at Lake Point, And I just need, need to give you all heads up. Um, if it has not already booked up, like been, been full at both the campus I'm preaching at and some of our other campuses, that will probably happen like before the sermon I'm preaching right now is over. That thing is like packed, packed, packed. So here's what I'm going to say is number one, like you, you need to be there. You know, whether you're single and headed into marriage or engaged, kind of thing, you're married uh, or you've been married for a long time. You know, if we, we need to prepare for it, fix it or get a tune up, we, you know, we want to help you. And so uh, here's what I'd say is, number one, you can text the word EVENTS to the number 20411. Um, honestly, like my favorite uh, Bible teacher in America, is, I'm like fanboying about this. Dr. Tony Evans is gonna be here preaching God's word to us. That's right, man. Um, incre- married to his incredible wife for, 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 for over four decades and really excited about that. So you can text EVENTS to 20411. If the campus that you attend is full, and some of them probably already are. Check out some of the other campuses. It's worth hitting one of those, and uh, because you just want to be there. All right. So me and Jana will be there. We'll see you on Friday night. It's gonna be awesome. All right. I got to get into a series. I am just a little excited about. This series um, is gonna stretch from now all the way to Easter. We got eight weeks till Easter. The title of the series. Listen, I love my favorite series. Y'all love when your relationship series. Some of you guys do it, love it when we do like topical series. Man, I preach about this topic or that topic or anything like that kind of thing. My favorite series is when we just preach through the Bible. Like I love that stuff. So that's what we're going to do from now until Easter. Um, The title of the series is Hills and Valleys. And the reason we're calling this series Hills and Valleys is because we're taking from now all the way to Easter. We are heading now towards Mount Calvary that we celebrate on Easter because that mountain held a tomb and that tomb could not hold a body. And we are going to gather and we're going to look at that mountain on the last week of this series. But during this series, each week of the series, all throughout the scriptures, these great moments of God, these moments where the presence of the Lord descends or God acts on behalf of his people or he reveals something about his nature and character. They happen on these mountains and in these valleys all throughout the scriptures. And we're going to walk through eight of those in the next few weeks. Now, here's why this is important. Because our life, your life, is a series of mountains and valleys. Um, You are always, at every spot in your life, you know, you're either on a mountaintop, I hope that's a lot of you, or you're in a valley, and I know that's a lot of you. And here's what you're going to notice, is that like, if you look at your life and look at the Bible, what you're going to notice is that we experience God on the mountaintops, but we actually become like God in the valleys. And and what we want to do is we want to like look into the scriptures and go, man, Holy Spirit, would you please do a work in my life? You know, peel off the scales, do do some surgery inside of me. Make me more like you. I want to know you. And so that's what we're going to do now. We are starting with uh, one of the two, like, pinnacle mountains in the entire uh, host of the scriptures. And I want to lead into it like this because something really unique happens on this mountain. So in prep for this sermon, you're going to see why I'm doing this. Um, I came across this deal of people who have, uh, it's like very interesting names, okay? And these are real Like these are real names, okay? And so, you know, some of these I thought were funny and some some of them are just, you know, kind of shock value. But like, like I'll give you an example. This is a dude from Singapore. This is a real name, Batman Ben Superman. That's a real name. That's a win. That dude, I don't care what you say, that's a win, all right? Now, let me, this next one, this is a wedding that I am down to attend, the McDonald Burger wedding. Listen, I'm all in. I'm all in, I'll go, okay? Now, this next one, don't, don't put it up yet. If you are going to court... You don't want this to be your real legal name right here. I'm not even going to read it. You figure it out. All right. That's not what you want. All right. Uh, this next one, let me just say this. <laughs> the, this guy's face says it all. We'll go ahead and give that to us. Sad man. That's his name. That's literally that guy's name. All right. Now this next one, I, I'm cheating here. I've actually showed you this next one before a couple of years ago, but it's, it's absolutely amazing. This is my favorite one. There's only two left. Real dude's name, Lieutenant Les McBurney in the fire department. That's his real name. Les McBurney, OK? Now, uh, this, this one you know, this is my one A1B, and 1B. this is my, also my favorite. This guy works at Apple. This is a real guy that works at Apple. Sam Sung. That's his name. That's his name, y'all? <laughs> and let me just say this, man, I, that, that guy's name is great, but if you turn my text green, I, we're out. We're done. We are no longer friends. Now what we're doing today is um, we are looking at the moment in the scriptures where God like peels back the curtain and he reveals his name. <laughs> and some of y'all, you, you don't realize like why that's such a big deal. In about five minutes, you're gonna realize that's like the biggest deal in the Bible pre-Jesus. Um, God reveals his name here. And, and I need, need to give you a little context. What's happening, we're looking at Mount Sinai. What's happening right now is after, this is Moses. So it's Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, we, I gotta fast forward through like thousands of years of Bible history. But Moses, you know, Mo comes out of like Egypt. You guys remember all this? You saw the movie? And they they go through the wilderness and God works on their behalf. He does the impossible on their behalf. And then uh, they make it all the way to Sinai. And Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and uh, and God reveals his character in giving the Ten Commandments, all right? Now, while this happens, so Moses is experiencing this mountaintop experience with God. But down in the valley, see, the valley is where stuff actually happens, man. Down in the valley, the people of Israel, what they've done is they took all the gold off of people's jewelry and they fashioned, it was a a golden calf. Now, what a lot of people think is that they were worshiping another God. They made another God. Um, That's not at all what happens. In fact, they apply the name of God, the personal name of the one true God to the golden calf. And so Aaron, Moses' brother, looks at this golden calf and he goes, that's Yahweh. And so what they were doing is not worshiping a new God, what they had done is they were going, this is what we like to think of God as. And so they were mischaracterizing the character and nature of the one true God that we worship. And so Moses comes down the mountain and like, he's really mad, <laughs> like absolutely furious. And then he goes back up the mountain. At the top of the mountain, God tells Moses this. They're getting ready to go on the promised land. And y'all got to know this. When they cross the Red Sea, if you look at like the little maps in the back of your Bible, all they had to do was hang a left. Like, they were there. <laughs> like, all they had to do was hang a left. Moses refuses to ask directions. He won't do it. And so he turns right, and they're, like, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating for, like, an entire generation. That, so that, that's what happens. So, so here's what happens. Is they're here. Moses comes down, sees what's going on with the people. He goes back up, and what God does is he says, hey, I'm going to let you go into the promised land. But because of the sinfulness of these people, they are a stiff-necked people. They are a wicked and adulterous generation. And he says, because of that, I'm gonna let you go. But like, I'm gonna send an angel with you. I can't go with you. Lest I consume these people in my holiness. And Moses, like he's broken. So here's what he says. He says this. this. is one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. He says, if your presence will not go up with us, do not send us from here. In other words, Moses says we would rather be in the wilderness with the presence of God than in the promised land without him. And listen, man, you know why he said that? He said that because one second in the presence of God changes everything. One second in God's presence. It's better than anything. And so Moses is like, we'd rather wander around with you than like being like the, the upper level, upscale Marriott without you. And so then what he does is he goes, hey, Moses goes, not only do I not want you to leave us, but then he does this. He goes, hey God, would you please show me your glory? And what it meant, meant, meant uh, glory, Moses was going, hey, show me like why you're such a big deal. Like, show me your weight. The Hebrew word for glory, it actually means weight. Show me why you're such a big deal. And then God says, This, this is what he says. He says, Actually, Moses, like, I can't grant that request because no man can see my face and live. And it's because sin separates. Like sin separates in your human relationships. You sin against your wife, you sin against a, a friend and it breaks and separates the relationship. God's like, man, because of your sinfulness, sin can't be in the presence of holy God. And I don't wanna consume you because I love you. And so I can't show you my face. And so he says, Moses, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my very best. I'm gonna take you in my hand and I'm gonna hide you in a cleft of the rock on this mountain. And then the Bible literally says this, that God turns around and he causes his Hebrew hind parts to pass in front of Moses. And then the Bible says that he proclaims, God proclaims his name. Like he reveals to Moses, here's who I am. I'm not just gonna say I'm Abraham's God anymore to you, Moses, I'm gonna show you who I am. And then what you're getting ready to read is the God proclaims his character. Here's who he is. What you're getting ready to read is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. So the rest of the Bible quotes this verse more than any other verse in the entire Bible. For Jewish people, so like what you're getting ready to read, it's like the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. It's the verse everybody knows. So just picture this. Mo is in the cleft of the rock. God's hand is on him. His hind parts are passing before him. And God is verbally proclaiming who he is. And then this is what it says, all right? It says this right here. It says, then the Lord came down, in the cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed His name, the Lord." And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, "The Lord, the Lord, watch this. Number one: the compassionate and gracious God. Number two, slow to anger. Number three, abounding in love and faithfulness. And number four, maintaining love to a thousand Wait, Here we go. Number four: and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished," he says. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the four, third and fourth generation. Now, what I wanna do right here is um, God, like he reveals who he actually is. Now, like, hey, Lake Point family, we've gotta deal with who God actually reveals himself to be, not who we wish that he was. You know, when you start talking about God, like in our culture, and our generation, people do two, I'm just gonna be really honest. They do two, just honestly, like really dumb things when it comes to talking about God. Okay, number one, here's what some people do. They they say this, they say, man, it actually doesn't matter what you believe about God just as long as you're sincere. Doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you're sincere. And can I just lean in real quick and say, A, that's dumb, and two, nobody actually believes that. Like literally, you hear people say it all the time, literally not one single person that says that actually believes it. You know how I know that? Because Islamic suicide bombers are very sincere in their beliefs about God. Tribes who slaughter their children in child sacrifice, very sincere in their beliefs about God. You see, like, if you look out with actual open eyes, somebody can be very sincere in their beliefs about God, and they can be sincerely wrong. God desires, the Bible says, he says that worship that he accepts is worship in spirit, but also in truth. God says, man, like, don't worship me as you wish that I was. The only type of worship I'll accept is worship as I am. So that's number one, okay? Here's the second thing that people do that's like honestly dumb when it comes to the character of God is people say stuff like this. They'll say, well, the God I worship would, the God I believe in would never He'd accept everybody. He'd never disapprove of anybody's lifestyle choices. He would just forgive everybody. That's the God that I believe in. Now, again, let me just lean in and say, that's really dumb. Nobody actually believes that. I'll give you an example of this. So my wife, Jana, we've been married 18 years, all right? I want you to imagine if I came to my wife, Jana, one day, and I was just like, hey, babe, I need to explain something to you. So first of all, I started, uh, I started describing Jana like this. Like, if you asked me who Jana was, i say, oh man, Jana, she's absolutely beautiful. Man, she's really tall. She's like 6'3", <laughs> you know, flowing blonde hair, dark brown eyes, huge, huge personality, always has to be the life of the party, you know? That, that kind of thing. And yeah, I, 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 that's how I described her. And I was like deeply in love with this person that I was describing, And I was describing Jana, but if you're new to Lake Point, I'm describing the opposite of Jana. Jana is like five feet tall, really pretty, oompa loompa, red hair. You know, that's a joke. That's a joke. Okay, she's actually extremely. She hates that joke. I won't use it tomorrow. (laughs) So here's the deal. Here's my example. But what? And Jana was like, "Hey, why are you describing me like that?" And my response was, "Well, babe, here's the deal. Um, I've got urges." and I can't control my urges, I can't control what I'm attracted to, and I'm not attracted to you as you are, I'm only attracted to you as I imagine that you could possibly be in this other way, and by way, I can't control my urges, and so like, I have to think of you like this in order to like you. If I did that, Jana would go, well, I'm gonna have to follow my urges too and stab you in the eye. <laughs> you see, like, that, that's not, no one anywhere would receive that as loving and part of a healthy relationship. And, and that's my point, is that when we demonstrate love to God, when we worship God, he demands to be worshiped as he is, not as we wish that he was. And so we have to understand, who is this God that we are reading about in the scriptures that has revealed himself in these 66 books and in the person of Jesus Christ? Who, is he, who does he say that he is? Well, this passage tells us who he is. Now, I got to do this very quickly. I have to walk through the four primary characteristics of God, and they're awesome, all right? It's like buckle up, we got to go fast. Here we go. All right, number 1. God is compassionate and he is gracious. God is compassionate, he is gracious. These two words, they come from uh, number 1, it comes from a Hebrew word rahum and it comes from a Greek word splagma. Now, here's the thing about the Greek word splogma. I'm gonna focus on this really quick. It's an onomatopoeia. You guys remember that from English class? Onomatopoeia, that's a word that sounds like what it is, okay? So that's like splash or pow. That's an onomatopoeia, okay? Splogma is an onomatopoeia. So here's what I need y'all to do. At every campus, even people watching online, I need to put your hand on your stomach. Do it. And give it a really good, say it like, like you're almost like you're vomiting. Say splogma. Do it. Splogma. There it is. Splagma, yeah, that's really good. If you don't feel like Jabba the Hutt right now, you're doing it wrong. Like if you say splagma correctly, the back of the head of the person in front of you will feel it, splagma. Okay, that's what it is, all right? Now here's what that is. This word splagma that gets translated compassion, it's a pity that comes from your deepest soul. He's not talking about an action that God does. He's talking about, an, an, he's literally talking about an emotion that God cannot control. Um, I'll give you some examples in the scriptures. There's one right here in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. By the way, it's the first one. In Hebrew, order is uh, an indication of priority. And so God's saying, this is the primary thing in my character. Another example of this, really interesting. I preached a whole sermon on this. At the end of the book of Jonah, after God saves this wicked, violent nation of Nineveh, Jonah throws like this little hissy fit and he's like, he's like big mad. And God's like, why are you so mad? And here's what Jonah says. He says, I I knew you would do this. He goes, I I knew, I knew that you would be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's the first thing he says is, I knew you'd be compassionate, okay? Jesus, let's talk about Jesus. You guys understand, Jesus, the Bible says, was the exact representation of the nature of God. Jesus was the image of God, okay? So you wanna know what God's like? Look at Jesus. In fact, whole different sermon, One of the 10 commandments God commands, do not make any images of me. Do you know why he commanded that? Because he was going, someday I'm gonna send one. Jesus is gonna come. He's gonna be the exact representation of my nature. Now, do you know what is the number one emotion most frequently attributed to Jesus in the gospels? Compassion, splogma. Here's my last one, favorite one, Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion? on the son of her womb, even these may forget, yet I will not forgive you, okay? Now, what he's saying is God has this emotion at the gut level, like a parent has for a child with whom they have this deep connection. Now, I'm gonna tell a story really quick that has a crass ending. I'm gonna apologize in advance for the ending of this story. It's like, just track with me. The first year Jan and I moved here with our kids, our youngest daughter, Felicity, we're getting ready to have some friends over one night, and they were all coming over. And right before they were coming over, Felicity started like complaining that she had this pain in her stomach. And so we were, oh, okay, well, well, let's get some food in you. And so then like, you know, she's like, ah, oh, my stomach hurts. And then she was like, okay, I'm complaining. And now I'm crying. And then right before our friends came, like she literally started like shrieking, like shrieking at the top of her lungs, shrieking about this. And so like we call the ER, and we're like, hey, this is what's going on. And, and they're like, get here immediately. It sounds like she has a ruptured appendix that can kill somebody in hours. So like we get in the car, our friends get there right about that same time. And so they, they toss on like their hazards. They escort us all the way through Rockwall, that kind of thing. We're going like a million miles an hour. We're, you know, we're running through uh, traffic lights, that kind of thing. All the while Felicity is in the back of our, at that time, the, the van. Jana is holding her and she's shrieking at the top of her lungs through tears, pain, pain, pain. And like, I'm literally in the front, like I wish I could rip out my intestines and hand them to her. Cause I'm like, my daughter is hurting. So we get to the hospital. We, we roll in. The ER took this so seriously. They had people waiting for us as we got there. They rush us back to triage. We're doing all these tests, all this stuff. Pastor Steve walks in. I'd heard him say before, "You never want to see me at the hospital. If you see me, you're probably dying." I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" It's, you know, it's a, and so you know, we're we're seeing. They're running all these tests, everything, and and like we're she's just sitting in a in the emergency room, screaming at the top of her lungs. And I'm like literally thinking my daughter, my four-year-old daughter is gonna die. Right in the middle of this, as Janice holding her, she's like rocking, rocking, rocking. And all of a sudden she goes completely still. She gets completely silent. And then she like gets this weird look on her face. She's like, ugh. And y'all, at that moment, she ripped the longest, loudest fart in the history of four-year-olds. Like y'all, I mean like so loud and so loud. I told you this was crass. So loud and so long, like nurses on the other side of the yard ER are dying, cackling with laughter. After that, completely fine. She was completely fine. In our house, we call that the thousand dollar fart. That's what we call it. Now, here's the deal. When you are in that moment and you are like watching your children in pain, how many of y'all know there is no pain like kid pain? Ain't no pain like kid pain. Why? Because there is a compassion from parent to child where you feel what they feel and you you experience the pain that they experience. Now, what God is saying is he's saying, I'm like that. Now, here's why this is important, because some of you are on a mountain, but some of you are in a valley. And listen to me real close. How you interpret what is happening to you will determine your response to what is happening to you. And you're gonna interpret pain in your life through one of two lenses. Either you're gonna look at your pain and you're gonna think God is punishing me or you're gonna look at your pain and you're gonna think sin and Satan are attacking me. And if you think of God as mean and you think that God is punishing you, when you experience pain, you will run from him. But if when you look at your pain and you look at it and you go, no, no, no this is sin and Satan attacking me, then you'll run to God instead of away from him. See, so you have to understand God is not mean. He is not out to get you. His hands are outstretched to save you. He is gracious and he is compassionate and he is waiting all day long to be near you in your pain. See, that's who God is, okay? Number one, God is gracious and compassionate. Now, I, I, gotta, I gotta keep rolling. Number two, God is slow to anger, the Bible says. The Hebrew here, there's a lot of Hebrew in this sermon. That's weird for me. The Hebrew is literally arek, uh, arek apayim, okay? Now, <laughs> this word, I am not kidding you, It literally means, in Hebrew, what it says is long of nostril. I'm not joking. Long of nostril. Now, I'm going to show you why that is real quick, okay? Give me that. Give me the awkwardly tight. Give me the zoom, okay? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, oh, I get this. I got a little thing on. Okay. All right. Now, (laughs) if somebody gets really angry, watch my nose, okay? somebody gets really angry, their nostrils start to flare, You see that? (laughs) I don't know if it's working. (laughs) I can see it down there. Okay? So you see that, like, your nostrils start to flare. If you get angry real fast. On the other hand, if you are a really patient person, stay right here. If you're really a patient person, then when like frustration comes, you'll do something like this. You go, no nostril flares. Now, cut away from that real quick. I don't like that, okay? Now, do you see what's happening here is the Bible's saying God is long of nostril. <laughs> He's saying it takes him a really, really long time to get angry. Can I just say this to you? You, in your entire lifetime, no matter how many years you live, You will sin 10,000 times and God will always be like the father in the prodigal son story. He is sitting on the porch in his chair, staring at the horizon, just waiting for your silhouette to appear at the top of the hill, hoping his son or daughter comes home. See, and for the rest of your life, that is God's posture towards you. Do you know why he can do that? Even though you sin over and over and over and over again, as the same sin over and over and over and over again. You know why you can do that? because he is slow to anger. Now listen, man, not everything is awesome like candy, feels like cotton candy in your mouth news. It says slow anger, it does not say no anger. What the Bible says is that I'm just gonna, man, I'm gonna talk to you like in a really straightforward way because I love you and that's my job. The Bible says that it is appointed unto unto man once to die and then comes judgment. Now that means two things. One, it means if you're still breathing, there's still hope. Long as you're still breathing, there's still hope, man. But here's what it also means. The second you stop breathing, there's no hope anymore. If you die, I'm gonna gonna talk to you in a straightforward way because I love you and you're adults. I'm gonna treat you like adults. If you die outside of faith in Christ, you will die in your sins, you will be judged for your sins and the just punishment for those sins will be hell. See, it's not no anger, it's that God is slow to anger. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, well, that's not fair. Can I be honest with you? The only reason that we think it's not fair, that God's judgment is not fair, is because he pours out so much grace our entire lives that the second justice happens, it doesn't feel fair. Because we got emotionally calibrated to always getting grace. Like sometimes, here's what happens, example from my house. Sometimes I'll like, one of my kids has been uniquely good. And so I'll like give that one kid a treat. You get two bites of ice cream, something like that. And then the other two kids will scream, that's not fair. And what I want to do is I want to be like, oh, oh, interesting, interesting. Uh, Oh, look, uh, that's really interesting. You want things to be fair. It's fair you want. And I want to go, okay, how about this? How about we divide the mortgage by five? Okay. Oh, look, interesting. We've got three homeless kids. Okay. But what about this? Um, You want fair. How about whoever paid for the Nintendo Switch gets to play the Nintendo Switch? Look at that. Dad's got a new Nintendo Switch. That's amazing. It's amazing, okay? I wanna, you don't live in my house by grace or, or by justice. You live in my house by grace for a little while and then you're gone. That's how it works, okay? So you see that is that we get so used to God just being patient, 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 grace, 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 that the second we hear about justice, we go, that's not fair. Now, some people go, man, if God was good, he would just forgive. And again, I just wanna be honest. You don't actually believe that. No one you have ever met actually believes that. Can you imagine being in a courtroom where a pedophile is on trial? At the end of the trial, all the evidence is very obvious. But the judge says, y'all listen, the evidence for this man's guilt, extremely clear. He absolutely did it. But he seems really sorry. And I know he did that one bad thing, but he did a lot of other good things also in his life to outweigh that bad thing. So his good deeds actually outweigh his bad deeds. So I'm gonna just forgive him. Would anyone anywhere think that was a good judge? No. It's the exact same thing with God, that he is holy. He is a holy judge of the universe. Now some of you hear that and you're like, yeah, but I haven't done anything that bad. Like you're talking about like somebody really, really bad. I haven't done anything that bad. Listen, man, wickedness is not measured by the act of the one who committed it, by the, but by the magnitude of the one against whom it is committed. If you get angry and you kick a wall, you've done nothing wrong. If you get angry and you stomp on a bug that's like no big deal. If you get angry and you kick a dog, that's like a little bigger of a deal. If you get angry and you kick a cat, that's not even a sin. Like it's you totally, that's a joke. If you get angry, just come back to me. <laughs> you kick a person, that's a real big deal. You kick like the president of the United States, you're gonna get tackled. Things are gonna go real bad for you. See, the wickedness of an action is dependent upon the magnitude of the person it is committed against. And y'all listen to me. A sin against a lesser being deserves a lesser punishment. A sin against a greater being deserves a greater punishment. A sin against a holy and eternal God deserves a holy and eternal punishment. That's fair. It's totally fair. All right. So here we go. You may go, well, yeah, that's the state we're in. Why hasn't God done anything about it? Y'all, he has. Which brings me to characteristic number three. It says this, that God is abounding in love and faithfulness. The Hebrew, there's a lot of Hebrew in this sermon. I don't, this never happens. The Hebrew for this word, abounding in love and faithfulness, is the Hebrew word kessed. Say the word kessed, Kesed, you did great. Uh, what you're going to notice is that literally every Bible translation translates that word differently. Some of them say loving kindness. Some say devotion, mercy, grace, purity, loyalty, steadfastness. As many translations as there are, there are different words that get translated for kessed. My favorite the Children's Jesus Storybook Bible translates it as the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. Now, the reason we don't have a consistent translation of this word is it becomes, it, because it comes from a concept we don't do. This is a, watch this, just, just hang with me for a second. This is a covenant term. A covenant term. What it literally means is covenant faithfulness. Now, I'm going to show you all something, just track with me, okay? Here's what a covenant is. In the Old Testament, whenever it says that God makes a covenant, what the actual language is is that God cuts a covenant. Now, part of the reason for that is because with a covenant came circumcision. Now, this spot in the sermon, I had a really good circumcision joke, but it was like really, really long, and so I had to snip off the tip of it. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do Okay, let's go. Okay. Joke. okay. Which, oh, come on, man! If you didn't like that, you're gonna hate this church. Now, let me just say that. So here's what happened. Now, that's part of the reason. I may cut that for tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> Here's the other reason, okay? Because in, think about this. In our culture, if we want to like establish a contract with somebody, we live in a written culture. So we're like, hey, bro, you, you down for this deal? Sign on the dotted line. They did not live in a written culture. They lived in an, an oral culture where you speak things. So if you wanted to establish a contract, a binding contract with somebody, here's what you would do. If you're like, hey, man, let's make a deal. We in, we good on the terms. Okay, The, the next thing it would say is, hey, go get a lamb. And somebody would go get a lamb, and what they would do is they would cut, literally cut. That's why it says to cut a covenant. They would cut the pieces of these innocent animals, and they would cut them in half, these bloody pieces of carcass. And then they would arrange them in an aisle. And then both people that were entering into the covenant, what they would do is they would get in front of the aisle, of the slain lamb, the pieces of the slain lamb. And watch this, what they would do is they would literally walk the pieces, reciting the terms of the covenant. I promise to do this and I promise to do this and if you do this, then I'll do that. By the way, that is where we in our culture get the tradition of a bride walking down the aisle to her husband in a wedding. And the reason they walked in between the pieces of these slain animals is here's what they were saying. They were saying, if I break this covenant, may I be torn into pieces like this slain lamb. Now, when God enters into a covenant with mankind, with Abraham in Genesis 15, go read it. What happens is all the covenant stuff's there. Abraham's here. God is here. The pieces of the slain lamb are there. There's blood everywhere. They're getting ready to walk the pieces. And at the very second the Bible says that a deep sleep descends upon Abram, God knocks him out. And at that very second the Bible says that a smoking fire pot, there's lots of translations. But what you need to know is it uses the exact same two words that the Bible uses when it says that thunder and lightning descended on Mount Sinai and the presence of God was there. So we know that it's the presence of God. A smoking fire pot appears. And then with Abraham asleep, God himself walks the pieces, reciting the terms of his covenant with mankind by himself. And what God was saying was, watch this, not only will I be like this slain lamb if I break the terms of this covenant, he was saying, I will be like this slain lamb if you break the terms of this covenant. Hey, y'all, watch this. Let me get that shot of me and the cross. Okay, watch this. I want you to see this visually. Bring it right here. Give it, give it to me. Guys, we, you can't see it real good, but just track with me. We broke the covenant and he walked the pieces. We broke the covenant and he's the one that became like a slain lamb. When he went to the cross and he was crucified instead of us, that's what he was doing. Now listen, here's what that means. God has entered in to an eternally binding contract to love his people no matter what, whether you break the covenant or not, whether you sin or not, he is in. Now check this out. Here's what this means. you got to get this down like in the deep places of your soul. If you are a Christian, a Christian can sin their way out of a lot of things. You can sin your way out of a good marriage, and some of you have. You can sin your way out of a job. You can sin your way out of a good relationship with your kids and you can sin your way out of a clean conscience, but you listen to me. If you are a Christian, you cannot sin your way out of God's love for you in Christ because he has promised. That's right, man. Because what he has said is that he has said, man, I am a God that is full of covenant faithfulness. I am abounding in love and faithfulness. And so man, no matter what happens, I'm gonna be with you. That's what he's saying. That's number three. Now, number four, number four, you may be going, okay, but that actually leaves like a tension here. And here's the tension because it gets to this spot. Number four, God forgives sin, but he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, if you are paying attention at all, you're probably going to wait. How, on the one hand, can God forgive sin? But on the other hand, can he not leave the guilty unpunished? I'm gonna read you a big section of Romans three, and we're gonna do it real fast. So I wanna get you to one word, okay? Watch this, it says this. There it is. It says, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just like there is no distinction among dead people. Ain't no thing is like dead, deader, and deadest. You're just dead. It's going, hey, there's no distinction. And i like, sin, sinnerist, and sinner, I don't know how to do it. But he's going, Every, everybody just, same category, sinner, you all broke the covenant. And you fall short of the glory of God, and you are justified. That means like, whatever this is getting ready to say, it means that it becomes just as if you'd never sinned, like you're clean before God. By his grace is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, watch this, whom God put forward as a, you say it, a what a propitiation, it's a big word, hard to say, propitiation. That's what it says. By his blood to be received by faith. This was to show his righteousness at the present time. Check this out. So that he might be both just, watch this, I'm going to translate it onto this passage. So that he both, both might be just, in other words, he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and the justifier. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin of the one who puts his faith in Jesus. Now, check this out. I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna land a plane. Sermon's almost done. I'm like literally just gonna land a plane and ask you to give your life to Jesus real quick. (laughs) So here's what this is, man. I'm gonna talk about the word propitiation. Put it up there. This is a really important word. Like maybe the most important word in the Bible, propitiation. Now, what church growth experts always tell me is that if you wanna grow your church, don't use big theological language in church, all right? But here's my deal. If there are dudes out there ordering venti mocha macchiatos at Starbucks, I can use theological language in church. And oh, by the way, to all the fellas at Lake Point, if you're ordering venti mocha macchiatos at Starbucks, you need to repent, stand up and act like a man and order black coffee. That's that's it, man. Just like God intended it. All right, here's what, that's a joke. Here's what propitiation means. It means payment that satisfies. Payment that satisfies, okay? Now, in 1949, I'm gonna give you an example of this, okay? In 1949, there were 13 men that died in one of the most deadly then forest fires that had been known, okay? 16 guys, 16 firefighters dropped in to combat this forest fire in Man Gulch in Montana. All of a sudden, unexpectedly, the wind shifted and the fire started moving extremely fast the opposite direction and it consumed 3,000 acres towards them in their direction in just a matter of minutes. And it trapped these 16 men against, it trapped these 16 men in man gulch. They were trapped against a northern cliff that had a 76 degree incline. 13 of those 16 firefighters thought their only way out was to try to like climb the 76 degree incline and every single one of them that attempted that died. One of the only three guys that survived, his name was Wagner Dodge. And here's what he did. He did something that Native Americans had been doing for hundreds of years. It was called an escape fire. So the second he saw the forest fire coming to him, he reached in his pack, he grabbed a match and he bent down and he lit on fire all this dry grass around him. And I'm sure his buddies were like, bro, what are you doing? Like, we're like literally trying to get away from fire. And he was like, I just check this out. And this fire, it grew and it grew and it grew and it consumed all this grass, this huge area in front of him before the forest fire could get to him. And what it, did is it it created this already burned over place. So that when the forest fire got to him, all he had to do is he and his buddies, they just walked forward and they stepped into the already burned over place. And as long as they were in that already burned over place, watch this, where the fire had already been satisfied then when the wrath, when the fire came, that fire, it couldn't touch them because they were in a place where the fire had already been satisfied. Do y'all understand what I'm talking about? The cross where the Son of God was crucified for the sins of the world, it is the already burned over place. It's the place where the wrath of God, that's right, justly fell for all of your sin and for all of my sin. And when you place your faith in Jesus, all you're doing is you're just like stepping forward into this already burned over place. And in that place, a propitiation has been made. Payment, has, payment that satisfies has already been made so that the wrath of God will never touch you, that you are now secure in the abounding, steadfast love of God. And there is no condemnation for those who are in, who are in Christ Jesus. That's it, that's all there's left for you. And that is how God can simultaneously be someone who forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, but does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, here's the question, man. Is, have, you, have you like actually repented of your sins and gone, man, I don't want to do that stuff anymore because I, I want you, God. I want to follow you, Jesus, and given your life to him to step into that place, trusting the cross, that it mattered for you. Man, if you haven't done that, like I want to give you a chance to do that. And so like right now at all of our campuses, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And right now, if the spirit of God is like prompting you and you're realizing you need to give your life to him in a sincere way, maybe for the first time, would you just pray this prayer from a genuine heart? Would you just pray, God, I know I'm a sinner and that I have lived for other things besides you first. Pray this, but I believe that you died for my sin and I believe that you rose from the dead. And just say this, like in your heart of hearts, silently just say it to God, I believe that somehow in some way that cross, Jesus' cross counted for me. And so today, from this day forward, as best as I know how, I will live for you first. I receive the free gift of your grace apart from anything I've ever done, just as a gift. Thank you God for adopting me as a son or a daughter. Like, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. And like, if you gave your life to Christ in a sincere way and crossed the line of faith tonight, on a count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand uh, boldly, like lock that elbow, like it matters. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because one, we wanna know who we're praying for, but two, I believe something solidifies in you spiritually when you respond physically. And so on a count of three, if that's you, you crossed the line of faith in a sincere way, I I want you to do that. And one, God loves you two you came here for a reason today three put your hand up in the air right now boldly like man amen keep them up keep them up like right now man i'm I'm coming home i'm coming home lock that elbow man like like it matters god i'm coming home man that's incredible man amen 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 thanks for listening today for more biblical teaching and worship Join us for our Church Online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit Digital.